Welcome to the Lessons Learned Podcast, a podcast reflecting on the lessons we've learned and those we're still in the process of learning. I'm Komal, your host. I'm an interviewer, investor, and someone who has lived a lot of life in a short time. I built this podcast as a place for us to reflect, to be together, and to learn from one another. Let's get into it. Welcome to episode 31 of the Lessons Learned podcast. It has been a month since I recorded an episode, which means it has been almost a month since the murder of George Floyd. I want to directly acknowledge that I made the intentional choice alongside my team of taking off that first two weeks following the death or the murder of George, George Floyd. We took that collective decision as a team because we all needed the mental space to process, make sense of, and show up for what was happening in the world, the larger dialogues at hand, and to further amplify the voices of the Black community and advance the works in the ways that we could, in the small, small ways that we have tried to advance the work in anti-Black and Indigenous racism. If you have been following me along on my personal Instagram, you know this is something that I have been learning and figuring out how to show up for actively since the beginning of the month um, of June, showing up as fully as I could for the conversations that were being had, and also leveraging my platform in the best ways that I could at the time to amplify Black voices and the voices of my friends, people that I admire, and the stories that were important for us to share, to digest and process and to amplify further in the world. It is something that my team and I are committed to continue doing, amplifying Black voices, Indigenous voices, and to continue to uphold values of anti-racism within our company. And it's something that is a work in progress that we are defining for ourselves, but it is rooted in our core values of integrity our core values of being anti-racist in our work, diverse and inclusive in our work, and thoughtful in the ways that we are willing to have very hard and important conversations. And the collective pain that is continuing to be felt and the power of the stories from the Black community and the Indigenous community that I've seen and continue to see online is truly transformative. Many people have said something feels different about this time. And part of, I think, what feels different is when we see our feeds normalizing, what I'm seeing people doing and what I'm hoping more people will do is to make conversations about anti-Black and Indigenous racism part of our normal moving forward part of content strategies, part of business strategies, part of our action plans and impact plans and give back strategies and embedded in the very fabric of the companies and organizations and governments we are building. I love my audience. I know that all of you are very connected, thoughtful, inclusive, powerful people. And so hold me to account when it comes to this work. Send me things that you think I need to know about. Let me know the ways that I can be doing better. And know that I will continue to bring up, talk about, and educate myself and continue to do the work necessary both in my home, in my relationships with the people I love, in my broader community, in Ottawa as our home and the city that we live in, and in this country that we so love, Um, and that this is lifelong work, as it is for all of us, and no one is exempt from it. And so the conversations that have been had, for me, have brought up so much awareness an awareness of who I am, my own identity, rooting into the truth of my existence, my experience as a sick Punjabi woman married into a white family, 
And rooting into my identity is actually what has enabled me to show up in my allyship, in my being an accomplice, um, co-conspirator, as, as people say, is by knowing who I am. Because when we're rooted in our identity, we can so much better show up for other folks. And in part of the research that I've been doing over the last little bit, because I have had speaking events come up and I've had to figure out what is the right, what is the right thing to do right now. And the, today's episode is actually going to be a look at one conversation. I was closing out a conference, the GEM conference, a digital business conference, um, and I was going to be doing a keynote about resilience, a conversation, a fireside chat. Um, and the night before, I reached out to Jam Gamble, who is also on the speaking roster. She and I have been acquaintances online. And this ended up being the beginning of what I hope is a, a long and powerful and wonderful friendship. But I asked Jam if she would be in conversation with me. She had done her keynote the day that, that day. And I saw her story just being like, bring me back, Jem. I got more to say. And it was like, let's do this then. Let's hold space for the voices that are and should be at the forefront right now. And so Jam said yes. And we had a really important, powerful conversation. And so I'm going to share that here with you today, um, shortly. The other speaking event that I did was with Carleton University. And I was again talking about rising through adversity, cultivating optimism for the future. And we had booked this event prior to the murder of George Floyd. And so as a non-Black person of color taking the stage, I was wonderfully accompanied by Jamal Jackson, um, Jamal Just the Poet, on Instagram. And he was hosting the event and the MC for the event. And he was wonderful to work with for this. And we had a call and we intentionally spoke about how we can hold space and own this space and speak truth to our experiences and specifically what the Carleton community as an academic institution can do better. So for that keynote, part of the research I did, um, I was able to find an article, um, a research paper by Dr. Denise L. Brown. And it showcased two key factors of resilience in the African-American community. One was community support, which in all the research I've continued to do around resilience, community connection and community support are literally the through line <laughs> with every population, every type of you know resilience, community support is at the core of it. And the second that I found really interesting and that resonated with me as my experience as a racialized person, and this study was specifically with the African-American community, um, is racial socialization messages. So racial socialization messages include creating and fostering pride in one's culture and identity and educating children early and often about the reality of their racialized experience. And I bring that up because this pride that we can establish for ourselves in who we are, what we are, what we aren't. So me as a brown Punjabi Sikh first generation woman um, and the granularity of me owning my identity and getting really deep into what makes me proud of my culture, what makes me proud of my background, what makes me proud of my skin tone and my lived experience. It roots me so deeply that it enables me to show up more fully to support, amplify, and respect the experiences that Black people are telling us is their lived experience. And I, again, bring that up because part of this work moving forward is to root ourselves in who we are so that we can be better neighbors, better partners, better friends, better community supports for others in the Black and Indigenous community, and so we can hold space for the truth of their experiences and their stories. And that comes from knowing who the fuck you are. And the research shows it, that it builds our resilience, our ability collectively to move through and face adversity together. And so I am looking forward to navigating the next right steps in my personal life, 
in the activism I plan to do locally and beyond. And I hope that you are encouraged as well in the work that you're planning to do in your life to further advance the work of anti-Black and Indigenous racism in our respective communities and in our lives. With that in mind, I also want to share that over the next four weeks, I'm going to be sharing about the roots of resilience. So part of my work that I've been doing this last month while I haven't been recording has been diving into my framework that I didn't even realize I had, but that is kind of at the core of my life when it comes to how I show up, how I navigate difficult things, and what it's taken me to move through the quarantine and the last month since George Floyd's murder in a way that felt in integrity for me. Um, and that felt respectful, thoughtful, and meaningful and right. And this concept of the roots of resilience came up. And it's been with me for a long time. What are the roots of resilience? They are my pillars for what it takes to show up for hard things in life. Community. Wellness. Psychological and physical wellness. Uh, work. Our relationship to work and how we can show up fully at work impact and identity, how we can root further into who we are, what we are, and the impact we want to make in the world, and community. And so these five pillars make up the roots of resilience. And over the next four weeks, I'm going to be diving into these five pillars on Instagram, in my newsletter, um, and in conversations you're going to hear me have over the coming weeks from IG Lives that I'm going to be doing with friends and people I admire alongside commentary from me like this. So this week, we are talking a little bit about community. And community as a pillar in resilience, um, to me, is obvious. Like, it slaps me in the face. When I've gone through any hard thing, a big indicator to my ability to move through that hard thing is who is around me and what supports do I have and what exists in my life to help me move through and feel capable of coming through this difficult thing in front of me. Our community reminds us who we are. Our community gives us confidence in how we can move forward. And our community is a mirror for what we can ultimately become. And our community are the people who hold us up when we go through the hardest of things. Wow, I just had a memory come up from a very hard thing a friend of mine went through and how her and her husband leaned on their community in that very difficult, difficult time. Uh, Neil and Nooper, I'm thinking of you guys when I say this. And community is at the center of what allows us to do and face hard things because we can do hard things. And the reason that I wanted to include Jam Jam's conversation with me at Jam Conference in this week's look at community is because it's to show you the power of what can happen when we amplify each other's voices and when we decide to take a step to the side or hold space to bring up other folks in a way that is full of integrity, connection, meaning, and power. And Jam really like she shared later on Instagram that part of this conversation helped her fully own her voice even more. And she is a public speaking coach and I have admired her for a long time. So even having her say that was really meaningful for me. So thank you, Jam, if you're listening to this, like, fuck, you're amazing. And now that makes this an explicit episode. Apologies. I think we also drop F-bombs in the interview. So just note if you have kids at home. But Jam, thank you for this conversation. Thank you for your honesty, for your power, for your truth. And the waves that have come, the domino effect from this one conversation has been immense within the Jam community and beyond. And if you guys are not following Jam Gamble on Instagram, check out her handle, I am Jam Gamble. She's launching her public speaking course uh, and community next week when this goes live. So check it out. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Jam Gamble at the GEM conference and our reflections 
and truth about where we were at that week following George Floyd's murder, Jam as a black woman, myself as a non-black POC, and how we were choosing to show up and how we were honoring the capacity that we had at that time. So here it is. And this also brings in resilience frameworks around, for me and my education around resilience, what I've learned are there's key pillars to building resilience. Mm -hmm. One being community, which we're gonna dive into. Another being self-efficacy and task-based planning. So when I was coming up with what we were gonna talk about today, it was initially in the context of COVID. And I've been keynoting a lot about how we can be resilient in and rise in times of adversity. Um, and so task-based planning, and we've heard a lot about planning and goal setting and systems versus goals and all these different aspects. That is actually so key in us building resilience and coming out of hard times. So reinforce those habits and those daily systems in yourself that you're gonna need to rise. Like similarly to building without burnout, building in the face of racism for those of us who are women of color or against adversity requires us to put this armor on every day. That is why my morning routine is two hours long because I know when I'm showing up to work, the embodiment that I show up in is actually really complicated. And I need to put that armor on first thing in the morning. So that's the self-efficacy and task-based planning. So pillar one community, pillar two, self-efficacy. Pillar three is uh, wellness. So that wraps into those daily habits and routines. So how are you taking care of yourself physically and emotionally? And then work. We can't talk about resilience without talking about the money that we need to do what we can. And Amanda and I were gonna discuss the shame that can come with reaching out to the government to need serve or to require a business loan right now. There's so much shame these business owners can feel because we're asking for support from the government or from different places. But right now we are in a pandemic and we are facing headfirst an epidemic of anti-Black racism. So there's a compounding happening right now. And then we're trying to build businesses as women who have often deferred to build businesses because corporate settings and traditional workplaces don't work for us. So when we're looking at the compounding of oppression that is happening as right. women of color business owners, as women business owners, yeah, we need to be, and I drop F-bombs, I'm not gonna do it here because I don't know what the cussing policy is. We need to be really resilient. Okay, so community, task-based planning and self-efficacy, uh, wellness, work, impact. When I'm building the curriculum for programming that I create in my business, it is rooted now in principles of anti-racism. Because as a business owner, that's something I can do in my programming. As a woman of color, it's something that my community needs when I'm building programming. As white women who are building businesses, you can think of how can I make my business not only inclusive, but a place where we can radically show up for one another. There's been a lot of calling out of Marie Forleo, of Amy Porterfield, of various people who do one Instagram post and then continue with their launches. We need to really look at ourselves and how we're showing up in business right now and say, I can do better. If you're an influencer and the companies that you're influencing with are telling you to still keep posting or are giving you freedom to post later, actually, why don't you reach out to those companies and say, why don't we do something together collaboratively that can actually speak to the anti-racism that we need to discuss right now? I, as an investor, I'm working on writing letters to the companies I've invested in because I can be an activist investor. Even if like you have an RRSP or whatever it is, you're an investor in companies, you can force them to act in certain ways. As an investor, you're a shareholder. So this is just like a little bit of what this conversation was originally gonna be about, plus all the things that have been happening this week. I just wanted to get those pieces out. The no, foundation of resilience, the aspects of identity and how that messes with, or not messes, but like, causes us to be even more thoughtful when we're building and why right now it's really hard to work i'm finding it really hard to do day-to-day -day work and now do you jim i'm no, off no, my no. Hey, listen this is not even this is this is a really confusing time right now um and again like i'm gonna speak from my lived experience it's a confusing time because one this conversation that we're having right now that's being amplified in the world it's like i said it's been happening since the dawn of time it's just amplified right now two um, again, I, I, I didn't, I didn't want to go here, but I'm going to go here. Yesterday, I got a really triggering message. Okay. 20 minutes before I was set to talk, I got a really triggering message where someone was like, shouldn't you be more disappointed in certain companies that, in certain events that you're involved in that are not talking about what's happening? And I was like, putting that pressure on me 
to call people out, to be disappointed is exhausting because on one sense, I'm hurt by what's happening to my community. I'm hurt is what, what is happening to, to marginalized people in general, but then I have to survive. And then it's kind of like, I'm trying to find a safe space where it's like, I care, but I, I, ha I have to survive because again, you heard it in, in, in Layla Saad's poem. I have to work twice as hard and be two steps ahead just to live. So <laughs> I have to battle my pain, but then I still got to show up strong. And then it's just, it's so much that like, it's like, here I am encouraging people to find their voice. And meanwhile, my voice inside is like mumbled. Mm -hmm. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting because it is just, a, we can't decouple our identity from our work. And it's so easy. Like my husband, he is a white man and he's been ruminating. How am I going to post? What am I going to say? And he finally posted yesterday. And a big part of it is like, there's a convenience to be able to just check into the news and be like, wow, that's so hard. And then go back to your life in a white body. <laughs> but like, I say this to my father-in-law all the time. I live with my father-in-law, our cousin, Nathan. I live with three grown white men. And there's a lot of educating that happens in our household, but it's because when my children come into this home, if we are blessed to have them, I want us to be able to talk about racism. I want us to be able to talk about bias, but I can't wash this off. Like I, this is not, it's, it's my lived experience every damn day. And right now more than ever, we're realizing that even myself in a brown body, it is significantly harder in a black body. And I didn't want to also go here, but here we are. <laughs> I just, it's just, I, if I have this stage, if we have these platforms, like right now, I couldn't not ha have this dialogue right now. No. And again, it's about education. So for anyone who's listening right now, and this is uncomfortable for you, it's uncomfortable because I think right now our, our voices, particularly black voices are being amplified in a way that has never been amplified before. And when people whose voices have been suppressed for so long, and I'm doing my stress rub. <laughs> <laughs> my hands are so cold and clammy. Yeah, when people's voices, like mine, that have been suppressed for so long, we're not used to being heard. And now people are uncomfortable because they're hearing the truth. And the truth happens, you know, like this is an educational moment. My husband is Eastern European. He's learning as well. Um, last week we got into an, a slight argument because I was venting about all these posts and he's like, okay, listen, take a break. Like he's like, take a break, let it go, put down your phone. And I go, listen to me. Okay. As I like, took off earrings. I was like, first of all, you may not want to care right now, but if we ever have a child and our son is black, cause he will be seen as a black boy. You're going to care then, aren't you? Right. So you're going to listen and you're going to learn right now. So yes, please. <laughs> I'm in this house shaking things up, <laughs> okay? Mm. And, and the, the reality is when we are uncomfortable with conversations, my husband's very uncomfortable, but he's learning because he's that same uncomfortable person who's now gonna go to work. And if anybody says anything about any population, for the 17 years of my career, I've been a disabilities advocate. So if he sees anyone saying anything that's you know racially driven or making fun of somebody with a disability, he is there and he's saying something, right? But he's been uncomfortable. So right now I'm challenging him so that he could challenge others. And when mm -hmm. we say challenge, challenge is not about being aggressive. Challenge is not being attacking. It's, it's encouraging you to make a move. It's encouraging you to think differently. So just think differently about that word challenge, if it yeah. makes sense. Calling out versus calling in. It's calling out like I yesterday was talking to my brother-in-law on text. And there was just a comment that was made and I made like I just normally put lots of adjectives in my sentences so that it feels and can land softly. I took those adjectives out so it was much more direct. And like that, I, that's how we tone police or police ourselves, you know? But then hold I thought like, <laughs> How'd it go? It was fine. He he was snippy right back. But then I took a second and I was like, okay, bring the adjectives back, bring the empathy back, and make this a dialogue. And I'm not saying to the people of color, marginalized people who are listening, that this is always our responsibility. But I, as a South Asian woman right now who am not black, may have more capacity. And we're going to dive into capacity in a minute um, to show up for these harder conversations at a time when maybe 
like the white folks in my life are, I am the person of color in their life. I am the one person. <laughs> so I will show up for my this. Too, for my yes. And so it's like, that's a big responsibility. But um, I want to just emphasize this conversation around capacity. And yes. oh, I will also share this one thing before I do is an Instagram comment on my last post because I'm an artist. So what I've been using my art for right now is to just I see words each day or quotes that are being shared. And then I, I um, create art around them each night as like my release. And then I share them the following day. And so yesterday was a quote from Martin Luther King um, that riots are um, the voice of the unheard. Um, but Martin Luther King sa Jr. says that in the context of him being a nonviolent advocate, but understanding why riots happen. And when the comment section is kind of blowing up, I'm like, meeting those comments with empathy because I am standing in the power of calling in except when my Scorpio comes out and I am calling out like crazy. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> and like at this moment, I also want to say to the audience, can you hear the emotional labor of this? Like if there's so much right now that you're like, wow, I never thought about that. Or wow, that's a lot to think about. This is every damn day, every damn moment. This is the additional level that is on us as women of color business owners. So, okay, Jam, you know let's what talk reminds about... me of? What? If, 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 Kat, if Kat is still in here, Kat knows that I'm working on an, an, on an album. Okay, not really, but I have a soundtrack of Jam songs. And <laughs> I love to meet things with compassion too. Don't get me wrong. But when you come from a place of malice, mm -hmm. when you come from a place where you know your intentions are not pure, Kat, sing it with me. I am not the one. I will come for you. <laughs> yes, I will. Don't. I'm not the one. Do like, and this is the thing though. Although I am, I'm a black of a black proud woman. I am a human. I'm a proud human. So if I see any individual who is being attacked, who is being insulted, who is made to feel unsafe, the same thing applies. I'm coming. I'm protecting because I'm a human. Mm -hmm. I'm a human who cares that, you know what, people need to exist feeling safe. And, and whatever capacity I have, whatever tools, strength, words, energy I have, I'm going to use it to ensure those people feel safe. I just wish that there were people who had the same response to me. Yeah. Yeah. And because it's been socialized out of us for generations, it's like, that's really hard labor, white people and non-Black people of color. That's really hard labor, but guess what? What we need you now, people are asking like, what can I do? Look to anti-racist educators. They have online courses, just like all of us in the marketing space and all of us talking about our online businesses. People have built exceptional anti-racist education businesses. They're in the resource list that I keep sharing in the comments. We, my team aggregated a list of resources from everything we've seen on the internet. So there's educators on there. There's um, articles. There are other resource lists. There's a resource list that's made by white people for pe white people to educate themselves on anti-racist policies and things that you can do. Um, but pay educators. Learn. We're all paying for online courses. Pay for this online course. It will change your business. I promise you. It will also open up your demographic that you're going to be applicable to. Open yeah. up the market. Being anti-racist is good for business. Period. End of story. Being no human is good. <laughs> being a human is being good. It's good for business. But also, it's like if we think of it from an economic standpoint. Um, I saw this live with a woman who her sister's a realtor and, and is black, and put a comment on her face or on her private Facebook, and then the head of the realty company sent a group chat and was like, "Let's keep politics out of business. Politics is inherently ingrained in business, guys." It is. You can't decouple the two. If we want to talk about macro level systems change, listen, I did my graduate studies in social innovation, which looks at how the private sector, public sector, and nonprofit sector can come together and make system level change. Business is a key aspect of anti-racism work, period, yes. end of story. We have to show up for this. It's going to be good for your bottom line. Impact first. And part of the impact strategy for your business shouldn't just be philanthropy, but should be constant self-education to ensure your business is at a baseline anti-racist. Like you think that's common sense? Yes. Like what we're telling you is not revolutionary, eh? Like 
it's straight facts. <laughs> and also, this is labor. Like for Jam and I, like we wanted to show up at this conference and talk about our businesses. Yeah, we could have done that. Jam did an exceptional job yesterday educating us all about how we show up and use the mic. And then she used some time to speak Layla Saad's words after that comment or that message she got 20 minutes beforehand. And that messes with us. But she did the work. And then guess what happened? Layla reposted it, Jam, to all of her people. Not only did she repost it, she reposted Jam reciting the whole thing. She did a shout out to Jam. Listen. And then she also said, I love black women. Listen, Jam, Jam. I sent her a voice note and it went like this. Um, hi. Whoa. Um, I should do a better voice note. Let me do this. Okay, I'll keep talking. Hi, Layla, I'm Jam. You know that now. Whoa. And she told me she's like, I love that voice note. <laughs> <laughs> and someone please link Layla's account in the comments. It's in the anti-racism resource list that I've sent. But if you need to find out who Layla is, if you're wondering who Layla is, she is a great anti-racism educator. And Shout the out to Jenny. Jenny on yes, the block. Yes, yes. Shout out to Jenny J. Listen, when we talk about amplifying voices, this is an example of amplifying voices. Kat even told you, how long does it take you to, to share something? Like, what, two seconds? Jenny did this like that. I didn't think anything of it. I was like, shout out, Jenny. Thank you for seeing my voice. I love you. Yes. And then this happened, and I, I, I had to go to farm, like, shop at Walmart and get a, in a puffer because I was wheezing. <laughs> So thank you for amplifying my voice. And that's community. That is what community, when we talk about women supporting women and women empowering women, this is what it looks like. Amplifying voices that are not yours. Amplifying stories that you have not lived, but it deserves to be shared. Like that is what it looks like. It's not just about saying hashtag girl power. Yes, my slaves. It's also amplifying one another's voices and clapping and saying, I see you, I hear you, I appreciate you. And that gives someone the, the courage to like, just press on in ways they never knew they could. Yes. Yes. Again, for the people in the back. <laughs> okay. I want to also take a moment because it's very insidious in business culture where we use things that we've appropriated from black communities within the vernacular and what we use in our business, which in and of itself, isn't always harmful or violent. But if you're saying, hey, sis, if you're saying, yes, queen, if you're saying all these various things that are rooted in Black culture, and you're not saying something right now or amplifying other voices, there is something wrong. And I don't know how else to say this except that. I'm going to pass the mic right now because Jam's giving me the look she gave me last night when Scorpio was about to come out because Jam is on the cusp of being a Scorpio as well. So let's hear it. This is my two cents. Yes, it is rooted in black culture. But when we say yes, sis, and yes, queen, it's because for years we have been made to feel less than. Um, people don't recognize us as royalty. People don't recognize our strength and our beauty. So within our community, we have to uplift and empower and remind one another to put our crown on, to shine bright, to be unapologetic, that we are sisters in, in this fight, that we are people who who support one another. And because no one else wants to do that within our community, we have to constantly remind one another, I see you, sis, I see you, queen. So when other people do it, I see you, queen. I'm like, so I'm a queen now? Oh, why am I queen now? Because this is a trendy, uh, a trendy saying? No, there's a reason why we say yes, queen, and I see you, sis, is because we need to remind one another that we see us, because unfortunately, society does not want to. Mm. So that's, that's where it's, it's, it's rooted from. And unless you really see me, before you say yes, queen, say yes, jam. Yes, jam. I see you, jam. <laughs> I see you, jam. Yes, yes. Like, tell me you see me. Don't just make it a catch thing. I see you, sis. No, just say you, I see you, jam. I appreciate yeah. you, jam. And that's good enough for me. Yes. And what I also want to add here, and, you know, I, I mentioned this to you last night, Jim, and I was on the fence about if I, but it's rooted in my identity and my story and my truth. The shiniest moments in my career. Getting named to Oprah's Super Soul 100 list. Woo! Interviewing Michelle Obama on stage in front Woo! of 8,000 people. Yo, I'm Auntie not Michelle. Auntie Michelle. Auntie Michelle. Auntie Michelle. She's right there. 
right there on the wall to remind me of what I'm capable of doing. And Oprah's right there to remind me of what I'm capable of doing. But you know what? Black women have elevated my career. Period. End of story. Michelle Obama, Oprah, many of my colleagues along the way, women who have done the work, who, who we see as the most resilient people. And I'm looking at the camera lens right now because we need to hear this. The women we look at in society as the most resilient, the ones who inspire us the most, the ones who raised us with the Oprah show, the ones who changed the country in so many ways alongside her husband being in the White House, are Black women. They are Black women. And we cannot deny that. We cannot hide that. If we're building our businesses that are impact-driven or coaching-driven or rooted in any type of personal or self-development, you know who mainstreamed that? Oprah. She is a Black woman. When she made her post about George Floyd earlier this week, I cried because when she talks about that experience so far in her career, after everything she's built and changed in her life, and she is still brought to her knees because of her skin color and the way that the Black community is treated, and we're sitting here saying, I don't know what to say. Really? Your career is built on the way culture was changed because of this woman. Like respect is showing up. Self-efficacy, core pillar of resilience, is you teaching yourself, you self-educating yourself, you using Google as your best friend and finding out what is anti-racism? What is tone policing? How can I educate myself? Pay the educators. Do the work I yourself. Mean if you could go on google and look up the top five moisturizers i mean i mean you could also look up what those terms mean before you ask somebody you know and when you mentioned the oprah oprah in my generation in my years that was the only black woman i saw in media and then when i got into tv and then i got into public speaking to be that representation to my students you don't even understand. Like, I'm out here fighting for, for women of color, don't get me wrong, but I'm fighting for my students of color. Hard. So hard. Like, those are my children. Those are my kids. And I'm fighting to be an example for them and strength for them and, and a reminder that you could do this. You could be this. Like, this is not just me throwing around the term representation matters just as a, a, a loose hashtag representation matters is the like the, the, the spinal cord to my work you know and i think when we're having these discussions not only are we talking on social media to, as adults but it's for you people in this chat right now who are parents talk to your kids talk to your kids because guess what your kids have friends your kids are seeing this in the media they need to be encouraged in this conversation as well like that's a whole, we need a whole other gem conference just for like that. But really and truly like this discussion that we're having today, it's so empowering, but so uncomfortable for me to say. <laughs> and thank you. Jim. Cause I'm like, like, who's watching? What are people thinking? I'm and it's also like, I hold space for that discomfort while also saying your truth is the most powerful thing that can be heard today. Yeah. And you help people share their stories and find their voice and you sharing the fullness of your story today is profoundly impactful and gave me the courage to do the same in this space and you just came on board last night so thank you for that as well <laughs> like so we actually last night when we spoke we came up with like a few takeaways action conversation points for the audience one around capacity so you said yesterday at the end of your poem passing the mic to you yeah capacity um capacity i learned the use of the word capacity when i was at a conference back in september and i never knew what the word i never heard of the word capacity used in that form and it was basically instead of saying i'm tired or i'm busy or i just can't do it saying like i don't have the capacity for this right now so as women of color I know right now everyone is searching for the women of color to follow. <laughs> you know, they're like, got it, follow one, awesome. And then they're like, you know, teach me your way, show me, tell me, tell me. I don't have the capacity right now because one, I've been educating. I am living 
breathing proof of educating. I am constantly breaking and battling stereotypes. One. Two, I am empowering and educating my students. Three, I don't have the capacity to educate on a daily, hourly, by minute basis, adults who have the ability to look up things themselves. You know, and for my fellow women of color in this conversation right now, you have the right to say you do not have the capacity right now to answer that email, to answer that DM, to post something right now, to have that conversation because your mental health relies on your capacity to do so. And right now our capacity and our mental health is at like, it's being attacked. We're constantly bombarded with what's being shown on social media. We're constantly bombarded. If we, if we dare to go into the comment section and we see that there are people who say things, that in itself is an attack. So capacity really, I think, is the most empowering word you could use in your own self-vocabulary when you're like, I don't have the capacity to handle this today. Maybe I do tomorrow. And mm-hmm. if you say that you don't have the capacity, that doesn't make you less Black. That doesn't make you less, you know, like... Marginalized. Towards your people. It just means you don't have the energy right now. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side, um, so capacity for women of color and saying, I don't have it right now. Mm-hmm. But for our white audience or non-black POCs who are watching, that discomfort is what we require you to lean into. So you're going to feel like you don't have capacity because things are uncomfortable right now. But actually, the core work in resilience is to lean into the discomfort. So when we're facing grief, when we're facing trauma, when we're coming out of the hard things that life has to show us, being truly resilient is not avoiding that hardness. It is putting in practice what you need to support you as you face the hardness. Mm -hmm. And I'm learning that. Sorry? And I'm learning that. Yes. So for both our women of color, black women who don't have capacity right now, and our white women and non-black POCs who are listening and saying, I'm really uncomfortable and I just want to turn away. The thing that's going to help you show up is your meaningful and real self-care. Is your systems that you have in place every day to show up for hard things. For me, I say this in my morning affirmations, I am the healthiest I've ever been. I meditate, motivate, move, track, and rest well every single day. Those are my five commitments to my meaningful and hard self-care. That's my acronym, M-M-M-T-R. I just made that up. It's not real. <laughs> but if I Everybody don't- Everybody write that down. Everybody write that, fake, my fake acronym. Everybody, it's yours now. But if I don't put do these five things for myself every day, showing up for the world and showing up for my online activism, for showing up for my business is near impossible. So both for those who are uncomfortable and don't know how to show up and for those who don't have capacity and are struggling to show up, take care of you. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to help us get to work. Mm-hmm. So that's capacity. And routine grows capacity. Routine is what's going to build capacity. Taking care of you is going to help you show up for the people around you. Um, when we were, Jam has said this a few times around humanity and like showing up right now is just a human thing to do. Another thing that's at the core of resilience or at the core of being vulnerable or at the core of being, in my opinion, a really good person is listening to people, seeing them, and hearing them. We know this as self-care educators. We know this as women. When we feel seen, heard, and respected, everything changes. Everything changes. And right now, the Black community wants to feel seen, heard, respected, and they want to know that the people around them are showing up for them. And it makes me emotional because I want to know how to do more too. And I don't. And this hurts. But these are the things that are going to help us stay in this discomfort and show up through our businesses and where we invest our money and just reevaluate and rewire our brains. Um, Composing self. Uh, The other aspect, Jam, that I'd love to hear you jam on is around questions. So conversation, you said, is such a key aspect of this. But so are the questions that we ask. Yeah. (laughs) Questions. 
when we ask a question, I find that it, it comes down to what's your intention behind asking that question. And sometimes people's intention is, you know, they, they know they're striking a nerve. They know that they're trying to start something here. But really, when it comes down to like asking questions, especially in the climate that we're in right now, we're, we're asking questions to not only, but to seek betterment. You know, it's asking those questions that you're like, okay, you know, I, I want to, I, I want to have a better understanding. I want to change my perspective. I'm on this journey of, you know, unlearning right here. Um, and it's even like how you ask your question. So like the question I got yesterday started with, how are you? And I was like, that's not a question. That's an accusation. <laughs> that's not asking a question. When you approach someone and say, how are you? I'm like, no, that, you might want to try to again, you know? Um, but again, with questioning, going back to capacity, there are some people who are so eager to, to learn and to grow and to change right now. And I applaud you. I thank you and I appreciate you and I applaud you for doing that. I just ask that you ask the person before if they have the capacity to answer this question right now. Because not only are we dealing with the current racial climate, but we're also navigating through a pandemic of COVID. So we don't know where people's heads are at right now that they don't wanna be Encyclopedia Brown. They just wanna be playing with their dog or watching Netflix and they don't have the ability to answer right now. So before we send those questions, be like, hey, Jam, do you have a few minutes for me just to ask you a few questions around this? Then give me that opportunity to answer it. But don't start off and then segue into the question because then I feel like I'm up against a wall and I have to answer right now. Like, I think if we just reevaluated and slowed down our approach and we were more cautious or more aware of how we ask questions, then again, we're going back to that beautiful, beautiful process of having a conversation that I think if we take a time to really have proper conversations and to listen after we ask. You ask, you pause, you listen. Then we could see the amount of healing that we could go through together. And yesterday when we were chatting, you had mentioned that right now we can't comfort people the way that we did in person. Nope. Can you share about that? Yeah, because we can't hug. We can't hug. We can't go for walks. We can't. Like when we think about pain and trauma, what's the first thing that makes people feel better? It's comfort. Like someone hugging you, someone wiping your tears away, someone putting their arm around you. Like look at the lyrics of lean on me, lean on me when you're not strong. Now it's like lean on me like six feet apart. <laughs> it's a remix. You know what I mean? It's a lean on me remix. And we can't do that. And our community is so used to coming together. And right now you see people coming together with mask and sanitizer and they're trying to like still comfort and support one another when we're so desperately missing that human interaction of touch right mm -hmm. so we could still um support and and console one another by encouraging messages by phone calls by checking in by sending like messages of love like anything that is going to make somebody feel going back to seeing um heard and appreciated I think that's the one thing we could do in the time being before we, you know, organize the big hug party in 2029. So ready. Nine yeah. years from now. Yeah. I will celebrate my grays with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just to be mindful of time. Yeah. Um, I just want to. I'm going to do one thing real quick. And sure. it's a little bit of a call out of the white women in the community for how I've been seeing some people showing up online um, and a call in because there's a few things that you can consider as you're gonna get more educated, as you're gonna listen harder, as you're gonna find your words to amplify the voices of others. And one is there's a high likelihood you will get called out because it's hard to know what the right things to say are right now, but you can work through that discomfort because being called out isn't the worst thing to happen in your life. So no, give not. it a try. Do your best. Know that we see that you're doing your best and that if messages come in, if you get called out, it's going to feel like a personal attack because it is because these things are so ingrained in us as a society that the unlearning of certain things that you didn't even realize you might have said something the wrong way is going to take time. Can I just add one thing, though? Yeah. Like th when you talked about putting on our daily armor. 
which is like our emotional and psychological armor. Now you have to put on yours too. Yes! <laughs> yes! Join us. I say us. this with love. I say this with love in my heart, all right? Like every day I got to spritz, 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 spritz to get my spirit in check. Now here yes. you go. Spray yourself because you know what? It's going to be uncomfortable. Don't, don't expect people to come and be like, hey, I just don't take this personally. No offense, but when you said this last week, it's not going to come to you like that. It's going to be like, yo, Shirley, X, don't do that, Shirley. Yes. Don't do it. And just yes. take it, Shirley. Just take it, Shirley. Go, all right, I'll do better. And, and we'll yes. And it doesn't mean we're not friends anymore. It means no, I still love you, Shirley. I still love you, but I am here to call you out because it's just how it is right now. And we're practicing how to use our voices to stand up for ourselves. Yeah. And that you, the labor for white folks right now, is learning how to take that, learning how to process it, and then learning how to show up with having that have happened. It's not to make you to, to over victimize yourself, but it's to say, how can I try? And a great example of this for white women is Glennon Doyle, because she had a mad call out a couple of years ago when she was trying to speak about um, how white folks can be allies. And it's she writes about it in Untamed, her book. And she has learned through her journey of allyship and showing up how to do it well and how to be OK with being called out and owning her own identity as a white gay woman. and. It's amazing to see. So there's someone for you as white folks that you can go to to be educated on this because she talks about it. Yeah. So the next is not being racist right now or saying I'm not racist is not enough. Learning about anti-racism, paying educators of anti-racism work and oh, just educating yourself a little bit every day is important. Yes. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. People saying I'm not racist is the equivalent to me saying, but I'm not an angry black woman. <laughs> Someone screenshot jam right now, please. <laughs> I've been saying that for years, but apparently. <laughs> but now it's landing even more meaningfully. <laughs> Um, yes. So also when you say I'm not racist, it's a knee jerk reaction because you're uncomfortable. So just like lean into the discomfort. Resilience work is rooted in leaning into an understanding discomfort. The more that you do this, the more that you teach yourself how to do this, the better suited and able you are going to be to face all the things that life are going to show you or throw your way. And Jam and I know this full well. What we're talking about does not diminish the experiences you've had in your life that have made your life hard. We value and do not compare trauma and grief. But what we do understand is that there's different levels to trauma and grief. And when it's institutionalized and when it's been happening for generations, the depth of the trauma and the depth of the grief is so much more. Yeah. I will never have to teach my son, if I have a son, what to do to not be killed in an interaction with police. That is my identity and my truth. Viv does have to do that with her son and talks about that and if you need to find someone as well who you want to hear from it's vivian k on instagram check out her stories and how she talks about how she's raising her son and what right now is making her feel and be and do in life so okay number one you will get called out it doesn't mean you don't show up and you don't try and you don't keep trying not being racist is not enough remember the spectrum of racism as it says in avenue q everyone's a little bit racist own that and then move yourself further along the spectrum towards anti-racist. Don't make this about you. Please, please do not make this about you. Do not center yourself and put yourself on a pedestal for saying something right now when it's the baseline thing people should be doing. And just humble, like just stay in that humble place of listening, learning, and acting on behalf of others or amplifying the voices of others. Lovey Ajayi, she posted something yesterday where it's like, if you don't know what to say, pass the mic. So if you don't know what to say on your platform, we're not looking yeah. for you to say the thing. We're looking yeah. for you to pass the mic and like Jenny did for Jam, like I'm trying to use my platform to do right now, elevate the voices who are saying something right now and whose voices need to be amplified.
And these are some things for you emotionally from a resilience perspective that can help you show up. The tangibles are in this resource list that is pinned. Um, this is also not comprehensive. So if people have things they want to contribute to this, message me, DM me, I'll keep adding things to this list. There's a lot of these going around. <sighs> the other thing is performance activism is a real thing. How are you actually treating the people of color in your life? Your posts might say one thing and how you're showing up for the women of color in your life and your behaviors and how insidious um, mistreatment and gaslighting can be. Like you need to check yourself in your own personal relationships in your own sphere because you might be performing activism well, but are you really showing up for it well in your day-to-day -day life? This is uncomfortable shit. That was me cussing once today. I give myself one, sorry, Amanda. <laughs> Jam, is there anything you want to say here before we bring Amanda on to help moderate a couple questions before we wrap up for today? I just, first off, um, want to just acknowledge everyone in the chat right now who, you know, we, we can tell how honest or how reflective you're being, like how truthful or you know, honest it may be. But I will say that based off what I've been reading, I'm, I'm so impressed. And I'm really proud of everyone who is saying, you know what? Yes, like, call me out. Yes, I want to be better. Yes, educate me. Because this is the power of conversation. And thankfully, Amanda allowed us to have the safe, safe space to do so. I think it needed to be done. Um, it's a big move for any event planner to switch some of the gears and say, yeah, let's have a conversation that is relevant to what's happening in the world right now. Um, but thank you. That's that's literally all I have to add is that, like thank you and this is this is how we hopefully start to make a few <laughs> a few necessary steps to change the the current climate. And if you're an event organizer, a conference organizer, putting together curriculum, um, don't be afraid to include anti-racist dialogue and education in your programming, even if you're a business. Um, do some of the anti-racism education. Uh, tools that are available and you're going to see there's certain things you can pull in even in curriculums for online courses um, that you can do. So here as well, I want to drop an article. If someone could find it online, it's on Medium um, from Avery Francis. So she just shared an article about being gaslit in the workplace by a white woman. And the reason I bring this up is because you might be surprised by the things you read in that article that you might actually have done or be doing towards women of color in the workplace. Um, so if someone could find that Avery Francis medium gaslighting and just put that in the comments, that would be great. And to bring it back to why we were both invited, Jim, do you want to talk about what your offers are right now um, with Slay the Mic and what you offer to the world from a work and impact perspective with what you do day to day? Also, I'd like to note, Jim is also an educator of young minds. She is a teacher and she's built Slay the Mic. So I would like to say, like, you are incredible. You're educating young people, showing up for them, representing on a day to day so that they can see themselves in the world in a more meaningful way. And you're educating grown ass women on how to own our voices and undo what we weren't allowed to see and be in ourselves at the age that you're, you're like, you're educating really important aspects of society. Thank um, you. So tell us, what do you give? What do you give in the world? Um, so what I've been doing for the past month, not even past month, past two months since COVID was I introduced a special promo for my quick say session. The quick say session is anything that you want to focus on when it comes to your voice. Is it introducing yourself, telling your story? How do you pitch your idea? We could focus on that in that hour. But because I wanted to do a little COVID love, I extended it from 60 minutes to 90 minutes. Now, because yesterday, the love in this space in this like chat, like my, my skin, like I know it's glowing, like I know my melanin is glowing, but y'all gave me so much more love that I am just shining, like I am radiating right now. <laughs> so I offered another special where I offered a nice little discount. Um, you still get the 90 minutes, it's 95 bucks. Shout out to every single one of you who, who signed up yesterday. I am so excited to help you take your voice to the next level. And your kids too, Slay the My Junior. I'm going to be bringing back some new content for Slay the My Junior. So if you also have a child who has a voice that deserves to be heard, don't worry, we're going to do that. I love it. 
So from my end, um, we were going to be in the launch phase right now of my first digital program called The Next Right Step, Organize Your Mind and Life. So what I've realized in my resilience educating is self-efficacy and just figuring out how to organize your day-to-day -day life, how to build resilience overall in your life is one of the biggest gaps I'm seeing in folks, especially when it comes to not burning out, to showing up every day, to knowing what to do in life, and especially in the COVID era. So we focus on the five pillars of resilience I shared today, self-efficacy, wellness, work, impact, community. And I'm going to be interviewing high-level thought leaders. Think of Rupi Higher Cole. than Michelle Obama? Higher? Well, I mean, she set the benchmark. Maybe one day she'll come back. One of my affirmations is I will have, I, am, I interview the world's most influential people on my Netflix show. So Stay tuned for that. Hopefully a few years down the line, it's coming. Um, but so for you to stay on top of your game, for you to feel so good in your life as you move forward with your planning, I am your person. I am your go-to. And we are going to be launching our program in July. So if you want to know about that, sign up for my newsletter. Link is in the bio on Instagram. Um, and also I have a podcast called Lessons Learned. And if you would like to subscribe to that, Follow our page. Stay up to date with what we're doing. That would mean so much. If you leave a review on the podcast itself, um, a written review, that would mean so much to me. And these are all the things. I am so grateful for this conversation, Jam. You are wonderful. Thank you for pivoting with me last night. I love night. that we got to do this. The first conversation we had was karaoke, and now it's this. Like, look at us. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> The first digital karaoke. Um, also, questions for the audience to take away. I love ending with journal prompts. And we're going to end with an affirmation each. So I'm giving you the heads up, Jim. We're going to share one affirmation. Everyone's going to say it aloud with us before we go and bring Amanda in for questions. Questions for you to digest. How do I feel about everything that was just said to me? So just write these down. Journal about them after this. Because processing what you're feeling right now is gonna be really important. So just ask yourself, how am I feeling right now? What did that trigger in me? What made me uncomfortable and why? And then go through the resource list and say, the ways that I want to act are, make those action plans. The way that I want to act are, is, grammar's important. And then look at the resource list, ask yourself, these are the next steps I'm gonna take. If it's donating, that's great. If it's buying programming from an educator, that's great. Um, but figuring out your next right steps. And then saying the ways I'm not going to center myself in this dialogue are, and list those things out. Make this a little bit of your reflection, your values, principles, your pro like just your promise with yourself about how you're going to show up for this work. And at the end of it, the affirmation I'm going to give you is, I am willing to do the hard work to show up right now. I'm willing to do the hard work to show up right now. I am willing to do the hard work to show up right now. That is my affirmation for you. Jem, what do you want to give as an affirmation? So this is from the Slay the Mic affirmation deck. Um, Which I bought yesterday. You I bought that deck. deck. Hey. Um, everyone say it. Everyone. My words have the power to make a difference. My words have the power to make a difference. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Remember that your words, your story, your idea, it all has the power to make a difference. You don't know who you might be empowering. You don't know who you might be making feel safe. You don't know who you're giving the, the opportunity to be seen for the first time in a long damn time. It has the power to make a difference. Remember that. Mm. Thank you so much for listening, for tuning in. Thank you to Amanda from the GEM Conference for you know, trusting me in changing the programming the last minute the night before. I feel grateful that she was open to that. I feel so deeply grateful to Jam for holding space for the dialogue that we did have. And again, check out Jam Gamble over at I am Jam Gamble on Instagram. And join me on IG as well so that we can dive deeper into dialogue around community. So just as a heads up, I'm going to be going live three times this week and in the next four weeks. So a total of 12 lives with people I admire um, from across industries. We're going to talk about the various pillars of resilience, the roots of resilience, community, wellness, impact and identity, work, and self-efficacy. I'm 
just super jazzed about this because this program came out of a lot of pivots. As you know, we were supposed to go on tour um, pre-COVID. We were going to do a multi-city tour across North America, and then that had to change. This program uh, we were actually going to launch, which I didn't actually say this on the show, so now I will, is we're doing this reflection on each of the roots of resilience over the next four weeks because in July, end of July, July 29th, we're going to be launching my first ever digital program called The Next Right Step. And it is focused on educating you about these roots of resilience so that you can feel more grounded as you walk into this next chapter of your life, feeling equipped in these five areas, community, wellness, impact and identity, work and self-efficacy, self-efficacy being believing that you can make it through hard things. And you're going to come out of this program with an action plan for your life and work so that you feel capable and confident in conquering all that's ahead. You're going to come out of it too with a very, very excellent community. I know how amazing all of you are, and you're finally going to get to meet each other. So get ready. So the next right step will be launching July 29th. In advance of that, I'm going to be doing 12 IG lives over the next four weeks, educating you about the roots of resilience so that you guys are in the know as well about this framework that completely changed my life and gave me the life of my dreams, which is the life I am living now. And we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. And also during the program, I'm going to be interviewing industry experts from across um, all the pillars that I, I discussed. And I can't tell you who they are yet, but I will very soon. And they're some of my friends. They're people that you admire, I admire. And I'm just going to be sharing a lot more with you in the coming days and weeks. So stay tuned on my Instagram. I am just so excited for all that's ahead. I appreciate you tuning into this episode. Thank you, Jam, again, for your time, for your space, for your energy. And thank you all for listening. Until next week. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you loved this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to follow me, Komal, check me out on Instagram at K-O-M-A-L-M-I-N-H-A-S or the show at LessonsLearned.co. And if you have an idea of a lesson that we should dive into on the show, then slide into our DMs and submit there or on the website along with any guests you think I should interview and talk all of the things with. As always, I hope that you make some time for you this week and reflect on the lessons you're learning or have learned and take some time to celebrate all the incredible that is you. Until next time, guys. Bye.